0: Follow me as I read Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him.
1: My, my interest in that passage uh, the temptation of Jesus uh, in the wilderness at the hands of Satan uh, goes back a long time. This was like my first favorite Bible story. Um, when I was a little kid, my parents had this children's Bible called the Illustrated Children's Bible. And I tried to find a picture of it but couldn't. I remember it was, a, it was a big, hardback thing. It was kind of brown. There were camels on the front, like the wise men riding camels. and. And inside that Bible, there was, there was this illustration, and that is the illustration uh, from that Bible. I had a little bookmark, a piece of paper that was torn and uh, set on that page. And sometimes I would get that Bible out and look at this picture. Uh, this was the illustration of the temptation of Jesus. Uh, and, and I knew, I don't know how many times I looked at that picture, but when I was looking for, looking for it on the internet this week, it didn't take me a second to realize that was the one. I looked at it a million times. I recognize the, of course, very European blonde-haired Jesus uh, wearing the obligatory white robe and the blue sash, uh, and he's sending away, you know, he looks pretty good for having not eaten for 40 days, doesn't he? Um, and he's sending away a rather dejected-looking Satan. You know, he looks like he's been dipped in red paint, and he's got cloven hoofs and, and and horns. And i that's the picture I used to look at when I was a kid. I don't really know why this fascinated me so much. I've always been a competitive guy, even as a little feller. And so I think kind of the one-on-one showdown nature of this appealed to me. Um, I didn't understand the story. I can't even tell you that I actually read the text that was on the page. I just looked at the picture a lot. Which is maybe why I stopped reading my Bible later. Because once I got the Bibles without pictures in it, I didn't open them nearly as much until I was much older. But I've liked this passage for a long time. I even wrote my thesis in seminary about this passage. Uh, It is, it's fascinating on a number of different levels. We could probably study this thing for about a month, but I promise we won't. And I'll try not to bore you with too many details this morning. But this, this passage shows us how the tempter, Our adversary, the devil, came to try and tempt the Lord Jesus to sin. And if the devil was giving Jesus his best shot that day, and I assume that he was, then it probably makes sense that we can learn a thing or two about how the devil goes about tempting lesser humans like us. And so that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to go through this threefold temptation of Jesus so that we know how Satan was tempting Jesus. And I want to spend a little bit of time discussing what I think that means for us so that we can recognize temptation when we're being tempted. So that in that day, maybe we will stand when otherwise we might have fallen. We get the background for this temptation in the first two verses. It's been a couple weeks uh, since we studied Matthew, but the last thing that happened in Matthew is Jesus was baptized. And he first time he took the place of sinners, and he, and he made sure, he demonstrated that he's going to go where sin would take him. First in the waters of baptism, and of course at the end, on the cross. And as soon as he's baptized, God announces, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. The heavens were ripped open. And then immediately we get this story. In verse 1, we're told that Jesus was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness. And there's a purpose statement here. Why did the Spirit leave Jesus, lead Jesus out into the wilderness? For the purpose of, in order to be tempted by the devil. And we learn a couple things from this set up first it's out the wilderness if your bible says desert it's just a word that means place where nobody lives so it's a very desolate area but second and i think more importantly we learn this this what happens today in this passage this is not what jesus would have picked to spend this 40 days doing if it were just on his own this wasn't his idea he was led by the Spirit out there. And here's what that tells. Me. I don't know how this looked or how overt this was. I don't know if that, when the Spirit came down like a dove on Jesus and then you just grabbed him by the hand and flew him out there. But here's what I know. Somehow God, through the Holy Spirit, let Jesus know you need to come out here and go through this uncomfortable 40 day stretch. And in what will definitely become the overriding pattern of Jesus' life, Jesus goes out there because he lets the Father's will set the course of his life, even when it is uncomfortable. And we see that before the temptation even starts. That's how Jesus is going to answer every temptation. The Father's will sets the course of my life. Otherwise, I wouldn't even be out here. Who signs up to go out in the desert and starve half to death for 40 days? Jesus does that because for whatever reason, it's what the Father willed. It's in that setting. Jesus is presumably weak from hunger. The devil himself, Satan, shows up to tempt Jesus. I am convinced, we could debate this, and I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but I'm convinced because Jesus is God that sin was not a possibility for him. Uh, Like one... uh, one uh, commentary that I read shared this story. It said, uh, one time there was a, a man building a railroad bridge when the old transcontinental railroad was being finished out west, Up across this huge gorge. When he, got the, when he got the bridge finished, he ordered a train to be brought across the bi- bridge that was loaded four times heavier than any train is allowed to be. And somebody said, what are you doing, trying to break this bridge? He said, no, I'm trying to prove that it won't. And I think that's Jesus in this temptation. He's Proving God is proving that he won't fail. But I don't think the devil shared that opinion. I think Satan, in his pride, thought he could get Jesus to crack, to fall, to fail, to sin. And I think here's maybe his thought process. See, the devil was not created as an evil being. He was created as a good angel, a holy angel. One of the, if not the, most beautiful, most powerful being that God ever created more powerful than Jeff Rusher more beautiful than my wife if you can believe that and in his pride Satan decided I want or excuse me Lucifer was his name decided why does God get all the glory and all the praise and all the worship I want some of that for me and and he sinned in his pride and was cast out of his position in heaven and became the devil so he was sort of like the number two being in heaven and here's what I, why I believe Satan thought he could get Jesus to sin. I think he thought, if I can fail, as awesome as I am, I can get him to fail too. And like I said, even though this series of temptations is specifically crafted to tempt Jesus, we're going to see like patterns of how Satan comes after, after us. Right, he tempts him three times. The first temptation shows up in, in verse three where the tempter comes to Jesus and he says, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Remember, he hasn't eaten anything for 40 days. I can barely go 40 minutes. First thing I want you to, to notice in all of these I have it on the screen just once but I have the word sense in brackets after the word if there's a little Greek word a looks like ei to us that gets translated if and it's a good translation but I want you to think about this as the word sense and here's here's why it can sound like G, that Satan is trying to figure out who Jesus is figure out his identity Like he's saying, I'm not sure if you're the son of God, but if you are, do something spectacular so that I can tell who you are. That's not what's going on at all. Satan absolutely knows who Jesus is. Satan was created by Jesus. They've known each other for eons. And the whole reason he came to approach them is because he knows He's the Christ and the Son of God. God just announced it at Jesus' baptism. Rip the heavens open. Spirit descends. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. He knows this is the Son of God. He's not trying to figure it out. He didn't just approach some random desert wanderer and ask him to turn stones into bread or or do any of these other, other things. What's going on here is Satan is trying to get Jesus to use what is at his disposal to serve his human physical desires. And I think you'll agree with this. Pretty much any time the tempter approaches one of us, what he wants us to do is focus on pleasing our basic immediate human Desires. He wants us to focus on what we want, what would feel good, what would be exciting, what would you want right now, and don't think about what it is that God would want. Keep your eyes on your circumstances. That's this temptation. He knows who Jesus is. It's like Satan shows up to Jesus and says, Since you're the Son of God, Why don't you act like it? This whole human suffering thing you got going on is beneath you. You're above this. You don't deserve to be traipsing around here starving to death. Make yourself a sandwich, man. You know you can do it. Get what you want. Now, there's nothing inherently sinful about Jesus miraculously making food. In fact, stick around as we study Matthew and we'll see Jesus later miraculously make food. He can do that. But Jesus is bound to do the will of the Father. He answers this way, verse 4. Here's how he answers the devil. It is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's quoting uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8 right there. Uh, It's very intentional, the first word of Scripture Jesus quotes about himself. What is that word? It's the word man. Here's why I think that's significant. Satan has basically just said to Jesus, hey, you're God, why don't you act like it? You can do whatever you want. Take these stones, make yourself a sandwich, get on with it. Jesus, by quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, says, Man, I, I know I'm the Son of God, but I'm also a faithful man. And let me tell you, Satan, what being a faithful man is all about. Understanding why it is I survive and why I don't. Understanding what I'm here for and what I'm not here for. When Deuteronomy, or here Jesus says, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Jesus is not saying, we don't need food if we've got the Bible. I'm just all full on the scriptures over here, right? I don't need anything else to eat. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is, what makes me survive is not how good I am at providing for myself. Do you know that's true? The reason you are still living and breathing right here this morning is not because You've been good at providing for yourself and your family and putting food on the table. The reason your heart is still breathing, beating, and there's air in your lungs right now is because there is a God in heaven who continually, by the word of his mouth, ordains that you continue to exist and that I continue to exist. And Jesus says, listen, my very survival, like every person, is dependent upon the will of the Father. So I'm not going to get outside of that will for any reason. It's why I'm here. So there's the first temptation. Satan says, use what you've got with what you've been given to fulfill your desires. That's temptation number one. The second temptation, verses 5 and 6. Satan takes Jesus and stands him literally on the edge or the the summit of the, the highest point of the temple. And Satan says this, if, or again, since, since you are the son of God, throw yourself off of here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and with their hands, they will lift you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. All right, again, here's the temptation. It's really pretty similar. Satan takes Jesus and stands him up on a very high ledge overlooking a cliff probably. It's hundreds of feet down there. He says, you deserve better than walking around here all lonely and miserable. You jump off of here. And then he opens Psalm 91 and says, look, it says right here that God will save faithful people when they stumble. So, if you feel like doing something better besides being hungry and lonely, you jump off of here and you'll be jumping into the hands of angels who will minister to your needs. You don't have to put up with this human suffering bit. Now, Satan is always a liar. And when Satan uses Scripture, he always misuses Scripture. Psalm 91 is about how God protects the faithful. And He absolutely does. Ultimately, the faithful will be saved. But a lot of the point of the whole psalm is that God chooses to save people through scary, difficult, dangerous sickness-filled situation. He doesn't always save us from those things. Sometimes He saves us through those things. You know, sometimes, someday, God will not save me from death itself, but He will save me through my death. The day I die will be the best day of my life up to that point. So Satan misuses that psalm and tries to get Jesus to force the hand of the Father. By the way, that the psalmist is writing about when somebody stumbles, when a faithful person stumbles, God will protect them. This is not a stumble. This is rebellion. This is you force the hand of God. You force God to give you what you want when you want it, because after all, this is all about you. Jesus says again, it is written, you're not to put the Lord, your God, to the test. Um, Jesus is saying, Satan, as a faithful man, I seek my refuge under the shelter of the Lord. I seek my safety, my provision from him, not in rebellion to him. You know what this reminds me of? This temptation right here where Satan says, you jump off because God promised he'll save you. You know what that reminds me of? Every time I, in my mind, in my heart, have said something like this you know he'll forgive you. He'll forgive you anyway. Just jump on off into that thing you want to do. You can get what you want, when you want it, and then later on, you can tell God he has to save you. I would ask for a show of hands of who has thought things like that, but we would have people with their hands up and liars. That would be the only two groups of people we would have here this morning. The tricky part about this temptation is it presupposes great faith. God will save you, yes, but do I rebel so that I can force him to save me? The apostle Paul would say, may it never be. May it never be. Jesus refuses to rebel against the will of the Father. Won't put him to the test. And now the third temptation begins in verse 8. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain. And I think this is a supernatural experience where somehow the two of them can see all of the kingdoms of the world and their grandeur or their glory or their power. And Satan says to Jesus in verse 9, I will give you all these things. I will give you control over the kingdoms of the earth if you'll bow to me, if you'll worship me. Now, the first thing I'd like to offer about this temptation is I believe Satan's offer, at least in one sense, to be a legitimate offer. When Satan says, I can give you authority over all of the kingdoms of the earth, I think that's a legitimate offer because that's Satan's to give away. Uh, the scriptures call Satan the God of this world, lowercase g, not a capital G, God. Jesus himself called Satan the ruler of this world. See, God created mankind to be the ruler of this world. And when, when we fell into sin, we handed over authority of the kingdoms of this world to the one who tempted us to sin. And for a temporary time, In some way, even though everything is under God's ultimate authority, Satan is the ruler of this world. And so Satan says, hey, I I can give you back that authority that was lost at the fall if you worship me. What's tricky about this is Satan is only offering to give to Jesus something the Father has already offered to give to Jesus. We could go to Psalm 2. We won't turn there, but in Psalm 2... God, the Father, tells the Messiah, promises the Messiah who will show up one day, and we know it's Jesus. Ask me, and I will give you the kingdoms of the earth as your inheritance. I'll give you the very ends of the earth as your personal property. And so Satan, on one sense, is like, listen, God is, the Father's going to give you this anyway. Why wait? Just one little bow to me. And I can give you everything that the Father promised to give you, only I can give it to you right now. And the unspoken part of this temptation is this. Satan says, I can give you what the Father promised, not only only without the weight, but without the loneliness that's going to characterize your life, Jesus. Without the embarrassment and rejection that's going to characterize your ministry without the pain and the humiliation and the agony of the cross one little bow right now i'll give you what god promised immediately now I don't know if i've mentioned this but satan's a liar satan's a counterfeiter you know what a counterfeiter does satan is the great counterfeiter a counterfeiter makes something that looks valuable but it's really trash right Satan's a great counterfeiter he shows them the kingdoms of the world and says I can give you this and at least in one sense that's true but that would be a counterfeit of what God has promised to give Jesus the end of this book after Jesus has walked the lonely, painful, humiliating road that would be his life, and he goes all the way to the cross, and he bears the sin of the world on his shoulders, and the father turns away and breaks fellowship momentarily with his son, and he dies for sin, and then he rises again. He comes back, he meets his disciples at the very end of this book. You know what Jesus says about... What Satan promised him here? Satan says, You bow to me and I'll give you authority over the kingdoms of this earth. After the cross, Jesus shows up to his disciples and announces this All authority where? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. After Jesus is faithful, goes to the cross, fulfills his mission. He doesn't just get what Satan offered temporary control over fallen earthly kingdoms, which are going to burn. He gets eternal authority over everything in heaven and everything on earth, just for all eternity. Do you see how Satan offers a cheap counterfeit of what God offers? But Satan always offers his counterfeit immediately and more easily because it's cheap. At that point, Jesus has had enough. Apparently, he knows he has withstood enough and he sends Satan away. It says some of your Bible might say, be gone or go away, Satan. Um, for it's written, you are to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I'm not going to worship someone else. This is, I would translate this, child, please. Come on. And then verse 11 is not the throwaway verse to this passage. Pay attention to what happens here. Verse 11 says, then the devil left because Jesus is the creator God and Satan has no choice but to obey him. He volunteered for this. He wasn't bullied into this. He says, Then the devil left him, and what happened? Angels came and began ministering to Jesus' needs. If you think back through the temptations, verse 11 tells us Jesus got everything Satan offered, only he got it from, from God. Think about this. First temptation, take these stones, make bread end of the temptation the angels come and minister to Jesus's needs do you think part of his needs was getting something to eat I do because he hadn't eaten in 40 days so instead of trying to get right now what God promises later he waits and he gets it from God which I will assume is better Satan says, jump off of the, of the temple here and make God send his angels to grab you. He waits and the angels come anyway in God's timing out of obedience rather than forcing the issue or manipulation. And it's not written here, but eventually Jesus will have, because, like I just said, all authority in heaven and on earth for all of eternity, he gets everything Satan offered, only it's better and it's eternal and it's permanent. Because he waited on the Father's timing, and the Father's will. And that's what I think happened in the temptation. Now, What does this mean for us? I want to spend some time thinking through here. These are the things I want you to, to leave here with, to take home with you, how I want you to think about this. I don't want you to just have more information about what happened to Jesus. I want you to have more information about what happens to you every single day when you are tempted. First, number one, when we, when you, when I... When we value, when we place a higher importance on the improvement of our current circumstances, when we value that more than we value the will of God, we will fall into temptation. We will. It's like the fight is over. If the enemy can just get us convinced to look at my life this way, what I don't have, what they have, what I could be doing, what would be more fun right now. It's like, man, I've already got them. It's like the fight is already over. Focus on your, this is what he did with Jesus. Focus on your current lack of food. Focus on how you could get your situation better right now. If you'll just think about what would be better right now, instead of thinking about what God wants now, I'll have you. Jesus thought through that. He wasn't interested in the shortcuts, in the counterfeits, in the quick fixes, in avoiding even shame or misery or pain. He wouldn't put his comfort ahead of his mission. Even though he was the son of God, Jesus was more interested in fulfilling his upcoming ministry than in upgrading his current conditions. I want to read that again. Jesus was more interested in fulfilling his upcoming ministry than in upgrading his current conditions. How often do you and I, how often do we fall to temptation because our focus is on improving our current situation rather than focusing on what God would have me do in this current situation situation. It might be when you're in an argument with someone and my focus goes on, what would feel good in this situation right now? I'm going to tell this guy, I'm going to let her have, right? And I wind up sinning in my anger in my pride because I'm not focused on what would the Lord have me do in this situation. This is why Satan is the master at tempting us with things we, wouldn't even, we don't even think are real temptations. At the beginning, I said, I want you to understand when you're even being tempted. This is why. Uh, one preacher said it this way. Satan does not care what he baits the hook with. What he, the hook he wants you to swallow is ignore the will of God and think about anything else. Focus on anything else. Because Satan exists to oppose the will of God. He doesn't want you to be about the kingdom and serving the king. And so he doesn't care what he tempts you with as long as it keeps you from focusing on his will, on thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So how many times have you gone through this in your head? Well, nobody can tell me that blank is a sin. It's not a sin for me to blank. You got to fill in your own blank there. But here in, the, you know, here in the heartland, where we're pretty good people, not really, but I'll leave that out there for example sake. Satan doesn't generally tempt us with like, extortion and terrorism and child sacrifice and triple homicide. That's not what he comes at us with normally. He comes at us with things that we can say, that's not on, that's not on the, the wrong list. He tempts us to live our life this way. Get what you want and just don't do anything on the way too bad list and then God will be happy with you. And you can have all you want now without forfeiting anything he promises to give later. One really famous author says it this way, you can get your best life now. It's a lie from Satan. I'm convinced that's what he comes at us with we got to fill in our own blanks though we have to understand what we're being tempted with what is it that you say hey this blank isn't sin and satan just wants you to put all your focus and your passion and your energy on that blank because it may not be in and of itself sinful the same way where jesus turned a rock into bread wasn't sinful but it wasn't the will of God. It wasn't focusing on his ministry. It was focusing on his, improving his conditions. It might be, I made a list here. Work is not a bad thing. God created work. Put Adam in the garden to work. But when I start to make my identity, all of my passion, my energy about my work, when I, who I am is based on my work and not my mission Or when my work becomes my mission. I've swallowed the hook, man. It can be sports. It can be travel. It can be excitement. And I didn't say travel just because most people are on vacation, so don't get any ideas about that. It can be, it can be your house or cars, it can be food, it can be excitement. I just want you to know this morning that Satan is the great counterfeiter. He wants you to chase something that he tells you will make you full, will make you content, will make you happy. It will give you better than what that mean old nasty God who doesn't want you to have any fun will give you. It's a lie. It's a cheap counterfeit. I just can't tell you how much, the, even the Christian church, like in our area, it breaks my heart to see us sh- so shot through with this hook in our guts. You can't tell me I'm doing anything wrong. Because look at this list of stuff I don't do. I I say it this way to make it memorable. Just because I'm not doing anything wrong does not mean I'm doing everything right. Just because I'm avoiding the list of no-nos that other people see doesn't mean my father is pleased or that I'm on mission. I mentioned my thesis uh, in seminary was called Patterns of Satan's Temptation Persist Throughout the Book of Matthew. I just want to tell you one where we see this show back up. All right. Starting next week, I'm really super excited for the next about three weeks of sermons. Um, Jesus will have, this will be the message, repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. And that's going to be the message of this gospel until... Jesus asked the disciples one day, who do you say I am? And they said, oh, you're the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus changes the message immediately. And here, this becomes the message. I'm going to suffer tremendously and die like a dog. I made that last part up, but it's in there, basically. And Peter takes Jesus to the side after Jesus says, I'm going to suffer and die. And Peter says, may it never be, Lord. You would never suffer. You would never die. You would never go through all that. And those of you who remember the story, what did, do you remember what did Jesus call Peter? He said, get behind me, Satan. By the way, he uses the same words to Peter that he used to Satan in this, hupaga satana in the Greek, which just means go, Satan. It's just with Peter gets the extra little bit of back behind me. You can still get behind me. But he calls him Satan. How many of you have read that passage and thought, well, that was kind of harsh. He could have just said, you better rethink this. He calls him Satan. You know why? Why? Because at that moment, Peter sounds like the temptation. He says, what are you doing going through with a plan that includes your suffering? You're above that. You use your powers to make sure nothing bad happens to you. Improve your conditions. Keep yourself safe and take us with you. And Jesus says, you sound more like Satan than you sound like me. You're supposed to be my spokesman, but you sound like my enemy. Encouraging us to believe the lie that our comfort, our excitement, our conditions being improved right now, that's what our life is supposed to be about. That, that's how Satan tempts us, and he'll, he'll use anything. To get us there, here's his temptation get what you want. He doesn't even care if you pull out some Bible verses to prove that what you're spending all your time and passion with isn't sinful. He's fine with that. That's very different than what Jesus says. Later in this book, he's going to say, You just seek first the kingdom, my kingdom and my righteousness, and you'll get everything you ever wanted later. That's the good news we will get so much more than Satan could ever offer and we'll get it eternally. And we, we don't get it because, because we earn it. We get it because he paid for our sin and we inherit what he inherited. But our life shouldn't consist of focusing on our current conditions. Finally, I just want to leave you with this thought. That's why I typed it on the screen because I couldn't forget it. Just like Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you've trusted that when Jesus died at the cross, he was paying your execution price, every Christian will have all of eternity to enjoy living conditions better than we could ever imagine. Our circumstances will be better than perfect that this world could offer. Just like Jesus, but we have, we have work to do first. First. And I can't tell you what God's will for you is, especially in a, in a good-sized group, but I know we're supposed to be asking. We're supposed to be looking for it. And I'd be willing to bet that it involves other people. It would have been sinful for Jesus to to miraculously make food to feed himself. But somehow it's not sinful at all for him to make food to feed 5,000 other men and their wives and children. So while we finish here, if you just bow your head and and close your eyes, I want to invite you to spend some time with the Lord. I want to walk you through a little bit of prayer as the uh, musicians come up. First, I just want to invite you uh, to pray this To the Lord. Lord Jesus, would you show me what Satan uses to bait the hook in my life? Jesus, would you tell me what I think I will get from that? And now, Lord, would you show me what I will get from you I am faithful and I wait. And Father, we if we're going to we're going to try to live to do your will, but it's hard for us to know what it is sometimes. God, if you have shown someone here what Satan baits the hook with, I pray that you would speak to their heart right now. What is it you would replace that with? God, put in someone's heart, put in my heart this morning, a person you want me to serve. idea from your will that you would have me pursue God that we might not buy the lie that says get what you want now that's the way to live that we might be the faithful man the faithful woman who depends on your will see and understand when we are tempted and when we are offered a cheap counterfeit of your eternal promises. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.